So this chapter, in this unit, Alan was talking about leaving a legacy, and he, and he starts off with uh, talking about uh, a Sunday. A gentleman came to visit his church on a Sunday when he had asked the CEO of Harley-Davidson to be there and speak. And as the guy pulled up to the church, this is his first time to come, of course, there's a Harley parked out in front of the church, and several of them were there, and he's thinking, okay, this is interesting. And, and also, he comes in and uh, comes to the service and uh, is interested and intrigued about that. The guy that is uh, Jeff uh, Bluestein, the CEO of Harley, uh, he, he writes in there several learnings that Harley was wrestling with at the time. And, and this is kind of the, the key over summation of it. Uh, people who are new to motorcycling can find us intimidating. They don't know the lingo. They don't know how to get started. And he said, we need to lighten our image without losing our edge. So Harley was struggling with that. And they and they're made several kind of uh, principles or statements out of that. And Alan, that Sunday morning, was preaching off of Jeff's comments on this. And so here's some of the things that Jeff said with Alan's comments in parentheses. Uh, going into a Harley-David dealership can be intimidating for people that are new. And Alan said, just like church. Harley customers love their bikes to the point where they scare off potential customers. Uh, and Jeff, Alan's comment was, many avoid Christians, imagining them to be fanatics. Jeff writes, we wanted to take the person who felt like an outsider and turn them into an insider without insiders feeling as if we were taking away from Harley's image. And Alan's comment on that is that the principles of Christianity are timeless, but the delivery system must serve each generation. So we have to help the new generation understand the values of God's truth. Jeff writes, Harley dealerships are filled with gray beards and bald heads. We need some young blood in here. And Alan's comment is, need I say more? <laughs> Harley's appeal straddles class boundaries, stirring the hearts of grease monkeys and corporate titans alike. And Alan's comment is, Jesus welcomes all who will receive him. Jeff writes, we've changed everything without changing a thing. And Alan's comment is, timeless truth delivered in time-sensitive containers. And as I read through that, I thought, yeah, that really is the challenge for us as we live in the life. And how do we take this timeless message and these timeless truths and live them out in a way that has impact around us? So when we talk about leaving a legacy, I just started thinking about how people live that. And, and I don't know whether you've noticed, but the people that you think of in that way as people who are leaving legacies... Um, we don't usually remember people who have lived lives that are self-centered. We don't think of people and go, wow, that was amazing. You know, they held on to every penny they ever made. Uh, in, I mean, the people that we think of are the people who have given themselves away to us. So I'm going to invite you to think this morning about what does it mean for you to leave a legacy with your life. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you that you uh, continue to lead us forward with timeless truth and that you challenge us to live that out in a way that blesses those around us. Uh, this morning as we think and we pray and we speak about this, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So Alan points to the fact that uh, 
to be generous in our living and to be sharing ourselves is really not only about money. It's a lot more than that. You know, Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And Psalm 74, the day is yours and yours also the night. You establish the sun and moon. Uh, you know, everything in the world, all the time you have, every breath you take, everything you do uh, is a gift to you from God, but, but belongs to God. And Jesus kind of sums up what you're supposed to do with that in Mark's gospel when he has what we call the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. And you notice that it's, it's all, not, not some, it's all. The second command is like this, is this, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. This is the, the ground place. This is the starting point. When you go back in Leviticus and you, you start to read about uh, the giving and the tithe and so forth, I want you to notice how this is phrased. A tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It's, it's holy to the Lord. Everything Everything belongs to the Lord. We're called to give of everything we have. And, and it's not an optional thing. Uh, we're not invited to do this when we feel like it. We're not invited to do this as, it, as we're comfortable with it. But rather God says, this is, this is what you do. Uh, in Malachi, he says, well, a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, your whole nation, because you're robbing me. When we refuse to live generously for God, we're, we, we, we are robbing God of what rightfully belongs to God, what rightfully means, needs to be given back as an act of devotion to God. But the other end of that is we put ourselves in a position where our lives are impoverished. Where our lives are impoverished. And, and too often we begin to live from a mentality that our lives are impoverished. The flip side of that, right after that, Malachi says, if you bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, uh, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Now, I, I, I want to be clear with you that this is not just about money. Uh, and you, know, you go on into Matthew's gospel. If anyone gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones who's my disciple, truly I tell you, that person will certainly not lose their reward. It's this, it's this giving, this generosity of heart that allows us to bless those around us and in doing that blessing to receive God's blessing. But I, I want to be careful with this because I don't want you to hear this as a prosperity gospel. Uh, I want you to hear this as God's blessing. I uh, remember there's this wonderful story in, in Luke's gospel about the widow uh, who comes and, and puts the small copper coins into the, uh, the offering of the temple. And remember, those, those were uh, metal kind of funnel-shaped objects that the coins went into and then a tube down into the treasury. So when she put those coins in, you know, they would have rolled in there and made noise and people would be very easy you know to tell okay this is how much that offering was whereas if you came up there with a bag of coins and poured it in it would sound very different so everybody standing nearby knew what was going on uh, and he says this poor woman put in more than all the others and all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on now I want to point out to you something in this story Jesus doesn't say because she's done that her pockets are going to be full 
The story doesn't go, you know, the widow turned away and walked out of the temple and suddenly found that her, her pockets were full of coins. There's nothing in this story to tell us that her financial position has improved in any way, shape, or form. It's not about uh, this kind of uh, prosperity gospel, but rather it's about living in a way that brings blessing into your life and the life of the people around you. And as we begin to try to to live into that, I want you to understand that it it impacts us in in a very powerful way. Uh, My sister and I had conversations around this over the years and realizing that everything in our lives was wired together. Uh, And and if we were... uh, impoverished or felt impoverished in one area we felt impoverished in all the areas of our life if we felt generous in one area we felt generous in all the areas of our lives generosity has this power to change who we are and to shape us it it changes our mindset as to how we understand the world we live in so so this gentleman that comes on the morning that morning where uh Alan was talking about and sees the Harley and he comes in and listens to that. He starts coming to Alan's church, uh, World Outreach Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Uh, So he starts coming to worship there and becomes involved in a a Bible study. He becomes involved in the church and begins to get immersed in it. And finally he becomes, decides that he needs to start tithing on his income. And and the gentleman writes, he said, "The, the first Sunday in church I was convinced of that. I got out my checkbook and I got out my pen to write my check. He says, and my hand was shaking as I thought about writing that check and he said I prayed to God that my hand would wither so I wouldn't have to write the check and God steadied his hand and he wrote the check and that began a whole transformation of his life in that moment to where he began to think about how he could bless others instead of how he could hold on to everything that he had and that's what generosity does to us right I mean, it it forces us into a certain discipline because we have to be clear about if we're going to do this, that means maybe some other things don't get as much money. So it it forces us to do that. But in forcing us into that discipline, it also begins to lead us to a freedom from the uh, addiction to materialism that is so rampant in our culture where we feel like we have to have everything and match everybody on everything they have. And as it frees us from that addiction, uh, that leads us then to even be more free in our generosity to greater generosity and greater generosity calls for more discipline so that you can even be more generous in the future and so it starts this kind of reaction of going from discipline to to freedom uh, to greater generosity to more discipline to freedom to greater generosity and begins a cycle that you uh, rinse and repeat as we say Go through several times. And as you go through this and repeat this in your life, what eventually happens is that greater generosity begins to spread to all of your life. In every area of your life. And all of your life then becomes more free and more joyful to be blessed. I mean, when you think about the people in your life that have been really blessings into you, they've been the people that have given themselves to you. The ones that you can call up when you need something. The ones who are there when times are difficult. The ones who pray with you when hard things happen in life. The ones who take time out of their busy schedule to be there with you. The people who show up for you. The people who are there for you. There are people who are willing to give themselves away to God and to others. And in doing so, they bless us. 
but in doing so, they also receive our blessing, don't they? I mean, I have done enough funerals. I was <laughs> talking with one of my colleagues uh, this week. Uh, we've had quite a few funerals here in the last year. Uh, it's been tough. Uh, the six years I, I led South Bluff uh, Methodist Church in Corpus, I did over 30 funerals a year. Over 30 a year for six years. So when I went to Lano, the first thing they said, is there anything you're really good at? And I said, yeah, I'm really good at funerals. <laughs> and they said, excuse me? And I said, not my preference. I've just had lots of practice. But, but having done enough funerals over the years, this is what I can tell you. I have yet to do a funeral where everybody comes together and says, boy, we just, we just really love old so-and-so. He never gave us a thing. We really love them. They were never there for us. We really love them. They never had time for us. We really loved them. They didn't care about anybody but themselves. Right? As a matter of fact, the one person who probably fit that profile was the one whose family sat in my office as we were planning the funeral and say, can you please just not say anything bad about him? And I mean that seriously. It's the people who give themselves to us over and over and over and over. You know, when we built this building and, and put it all together and then we did Jim Jones' funeral, it was, you know, I could say to him, you know, when you come in this building, you should know that this building would not have been possible without Jim Jones. Those of you in the searchers class, you know, how many years did John Wynn bless you with teaching? Right? We did Sandy Kilgore's funeral the other week. How many years did Sandy answer that phone at the front desk? that kind of warm East Texas, West Texas blend of accent that I never could figure out. I mean, that's the blessing that comes out of it. It, it includes money, but it includes time. It includes love. It includes attention. It includes compassion. All of those pieces. And, and when we decide that, that, that we're going to live that way, we express the reality of loving God with all we are and loving our neighbor as ourselves in a way that's undeniable to those around us. And, and that creates a legacy for us. You know, I, I, I ask when uh, to give me a list of things that, uh, Thomas, would you bring me that paper right there? Bring me a list of things that uh, she wanted me to, to, to think about as part of her legacy. And when being her uh, humble self was going, oh, mm, I want to beat my own drum, but uh, I mean, just a few things that she thought about. She's talked about uh, prayer, the prayer uh, ministry of the church, and, and the ways in which uh, she has been connected with that group and supporting that group, uh, involved with that group, and, and building up that ministry. Uh, she said, through the power of Christ, uh, you know, binding people in loving relationships, walking with them through crisis and, and difficulty, as well as seasons of healing. Uh, teaching others to have a sense of the Spirit moving in and around them and to heed the Spirit's leading. She talked about getting healing touch ministry moving well, grief care processes worked on, support groups strengthened. And I should say, you know, in the last couple of years, moving through COVID, doing those in spite of COVID and doing them well. And missions, she said, it's too early to tell if some things I've planted will grow. Uh, Lost a couple of years during the pandemic, but I, I, I think those things will grow. I think there are some things, and Jim, I think you would affirm that, that, 
And some of the things, the work she's done in there will continue to bear fruit for a long time. Those of you may forget that Wynne joined us when she was an intern at Austin Prez, Austin Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Uh, and we were her uh, kind of required internship for her degree. And, and during that time when she was with us, as we came in, Sherry discovered she was pregnant with, with Luke, her first child. And so um, we knew she was going to be out for a while. So we went to Wynn and we said, Wynn, you've done such an amazing job. Would you be willing to stay with us and help us get through this? And so Wynn stayed on with us to help kind of cover and provide coverage for that time when Sherry would be out with pregnancy and, uh, and maternity leave. And Wynn continued to work with us. And one, we discovered one thing she didn't put on there was that she had really great skills of organization and administration. Matter of fact, she doesn't like to admit it that that's really her lead spiritual gift. And so we said, maybe you should keep working here, you know, stay with us a little bit. And, and, and that began this ongoing relationship where we walked with her through the process leading to her ordination over the years and to 16 years of ministry together. Well, she's blessed many of you in many kinds of ways. Uh, so I, I, I just, you know, I think about those people that we talk about as, as having, you know, left a legacy. And these are, the, these are the folks that are with us and give themselves to us as well as to God's work in powerful, life-changing kinds of ways. And, and, and those kinds of things are, are not necessarily, you know, just kind of a one-and-done situation. Because as Alan points out, you know, our life is really made up of many seasons in time, right? Ecclesiastes, there's a time for everything, a season for every activity. We move through different times and seasons in our life. You know, you're a student early on, and, and, and then you're, you know, young adults starting off in your career, and then maybe you're starting your family, and then raising family and working deeper in your career. And, you know, if you keep doing that, you get to the point where you get to be a grandparent, which is really the reward for having children. Uh, you know, so uh, that's where it gets to be really fun uh, and you get to have a good time. Uh, so, you know, you go through these different seasons and in all those seasons of your life, as Alyssa pointed out, you know, Paul calls us to run the race with perseverance. You know, in every season of your life. It's going to be different depending on where you're at in that time in your life. But in every season of your life, we're called, you know, we're called, you know, let's throw off everything that hinders us and the sin that so easily entangles, you know, you don't go running, you know, with your formal clothes on and let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Scant, scorning its shame, sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Uh, consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. We're called to just live into that with all we are and that we, all we have, whatever the season is in life. And for 16 years, this has been Wynn's place and this has been her season. And now she's going to begin a new season in her life as she moves back to Indianapolis and She's there for her parents, and Chris is there for his parents. And we'll begin a new season when Stella arrives in two weeks. But the question in every season of that is, how do I do that well? How do I live in a way that leaves this legacy of love behind? So, so here's challenges that Alan's going to throw at you this week. Am I generous with my time? Do I give sacrificially to my family and friends? And what about my talents? Do I use them to point others to Jesus 
In some cases, very much yes. NGO, yes. I mean, we've had demonstration of that. Do I give financially at least a tithe to my church? Am I hoarding anything? Time, talent, or treasure? You know, when you begin to hoard things, you know, you've got the TV show on hoarders where they go in people's houses, and you think, oh my gosh, how can anyone live like that? I have a really sneaking suspicion that a lot of us spiritually hoard (laughs) and are, are guilty of the same behavior except spiritually instead of materially. The second challenge. Once you've identified the first challenge, the areas where you need to grow, will you identify those? Will you commit them to the Lord with this one-sentence prayer? God, lead me to be more generous in sharing my time, talents, and resources, and incorporate this simple prayer into your daily prayer routine. The third challenge is during this 100-day practice of intentional faith, look for ways to be more generous. Commit to tithe. Offer more time to your spouse, your kids, your friends. Offer to share your gifts and talents with your church, with your neighbor, with whomever might benefit from them. Give away the things you're hoarding. Intend to be generous and walk out that generosity in practical ways. When Cindy and I moved last summer from the big house we bought when our kids were young and she was working from home into the house we live in now, you know, one of the things we had to do is kind of go through everything and say, do we keep this or not? Do we keep this or not? And it was amazing how much left our house, how much left our house that we don't miss. Fourth challenge, resolve to finish well in whatever season of life you're in. School, college, parenthood, lost, uh, last job of your career. Uh, And if you're being hindered, if something's holding you back, identify what that is and handle it. And how can you engage spiritual practices talked about in intentional faith to persevere and finish well the season that you're currently in? And then finally, think of one or two people who can hold you accountable for generous living and finishing well the current season of your life and commit to asking them to hold you accountable. Some of you may remember uh, Wade Killow, who was at uh, Rockbridge Church up here. Uh, Wade was, uh, and if you ever met Wade, you don't forget him because he's six foot ten. He's hard to forget. Uh, Wade and I got to be friends as we worked through that, and then we began to pray for each other. And uh, and still to this day, you know, every morning on Sunday morning, I text him a prayer. He texts me a prayer for Sunday morning, and we chit chat on the phone every so often and stay in touch with each other. And and as he's moved into this season where he's been debating some things in his life, a part of my job has been to say, really? Is that really what you think God is calling you to? And as I look into the future of my life, he does the same thing for me. You know, we're working on holding each other accountable among other people who, who are in that position with me. I don't know about you, but I need those people to remind me. When we, did a, when we did Sandy's service uh, the other week, one of the scriptures we read was this very familiar one from 2 Timothy. You know, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. When Paul writes this, he writes it from prison as he's contemplating the end of his own life. But he's not just writing it as an epitaph. He's writing it to his young friend, Timothy. And the whole letter is a letter of encouragement to remain faithful. He's saying, listen, 
you know, you've seen me do this, so now it's your time to do this. And that was his legacy. This is my legacy to you, Timothy. My, the, the way I've lived is my legacy to you. And, and Sandy wanted it read at her service as a way of saying to her family, this is the legacy to live faithfully even as I've lived faithfully. So it, is, is that something that we could read at your service and say, this is, this is what they wanted to say to you. I, I fought the good fight and I finished the race and I've kept the faith. Now there's in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord will award me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. I mean, when you move through all those seasons in your life and, and have run that course, what kind of a legacy will you leave behind? And is, is it a legacy full of the love of Christ? Let's pray. Mighty God, we offer thanks to you for the gift of life, for the gift of breath, for the gift of love, for the gift of grace, for the gift of compassion. And we ask that you open our eyes and our hearts to realize how much you have poured out upon us and how much we have to pour out upon each other and upon the world. So unclench our hands. Open them to be generous in every aspect of our life and in every way. Allow us to leave behind the legacy of love that points clearly to you. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen.